Uh, I know this past week uh, has been, you know, stressful, difficult, uh, especially for those who lost power or had some damage uh, to your house during the week. Probably resur resurfaced some of the PTSD from a couple of years ago. Um, hope you all are back in your homes, though. Hope you all have power. If not, um, please let us know if you have damage. Please let us know if there's ways that we can uh, support uh, with some of your needs. Uh, but with all that's happened, I'm grateful that we are together here this morning. So before we jump in, I, I do want to give you a moment to reflect on this question. Uh, what's a part of your identity that you embrace? All right, and, and how, how do you express that? Right? It could be something small. Right? It could be a personality trait. Uh, it could be something cultural. Uh, but what's something about your identity that you embrace and express? All right, I'll give you a moment to reflect on that. And if you're comfortable, uh, feel free to share that with someone sitting next to you. All right. That was the most polite interaction that I've heard in a long time. Everyone's just like... <laughs> um, anyone who want to share? Uh, just throw out, well, what's, what's, what's a part of your identity that you embrace? Anyone? Service, right? That's a big part of who you are. You love hip-hop music? Ah, there we go. There we go. We'll have a little dance-off later, me and you. <laughs> oh, yeah, you would like to see that expressed right now? Or, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, got it. Anyone else? Your clumsiness. And you fully embrace that. Yeah, love it. Love it. Um, so for me, part of, uh, part of my identity that I embrace is this self-confidence that is sometimes misguided. <laughs> so, so, so one example is um, when I try to speak Cantonese. So my wife, Rachel, she's completely fluent. I, not so much. Like, I should not be speaking. Um, and when I do speak, I mean, I have a lot of confidence, but I bring a lot of embarrassment to Rachel, so there's that. Um, another example, so last summer we were traveling to Australia um, to visit Rachel's sister, her family, and it's a, it's a long way to get over there on the other side of the world. But fortunately, we broke up the flight, uh, we stopped over in Hawaii, and so from there it was like 10 hours, which, as I'm saying that now, still sounds very long. Um, and so I probably wasn't thinking straight when I filled out like some of the immigration forms. And so when we landed, and it was our turn to walk up to the immigration officer, uh, I handed her our passports and, and all our forms. And she looked at the address that I put down for, for Rachel's sister's place. And she's like, New Waverly. Never heard of that city, New Waverly. You sure that's a real city that you're staying in? I'm like, yeah, that's where my sister-in-law lives, New Waverly. Maybe it's new. I mean, the, the, I, I actually said that. I was like, it's new Waverly. Um, and she kept shaking her head. She was typing. I think she was Googling. And, you know, she's like, I, I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure this is where my sister-in-law lives. So finally, she stamped our passports and let us through. And, you know, she said, have a, have a great stay in New Waverly. <laughs> and, and as we left the area, my kids all went, Dad. It's Glenn Waverly. 
So apparently my misguided self-confidence convinced an immigration officer of a city that doesn't exist. But as we continue in this season of Epiphany, right, we focus on how God is revealed and known through the person and identity of Christ, through his life and teachings. And it captures this movement from the knowledge of the divine towards an embodied and lived experience of the divine. And so we've mentioned before how we hope to be a community of both contemplation and action, where contemplation is resting and being in order to know the divine in ourselves, forming that authentic identity. And then action is embodying that identity in how we live in relation to the world around us. And so the question I want to explore this morning is as we intentionally try to hold space for both contemplation and action, how are we invited to embody the identity that Christ offers us? And in our lectionary text this morning, in the Gospel of Matthew, we'll see that Jesus offers three images that captures the identity of who we already are and how we're invited to live that out. And so we start in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can this saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. And so the first image Jesus offers is salt, which typically has a couple of purposes, right? It can enhance the flavor of food and it can preserve food. But the key aspect of salt that it isn't really useful by itself, right? It needs something else to interact with in order to bring out both its own value and enhance the value of the element. And remember who the primary audience was when Jesus was teaching this. Right? He was speaking to those on the margins, those who were oppressed by the political empire, neglected by society, shamed by the religious establishment. And he's saying that even they have something to offer and add value to the community and work that's happening around them. And so in some ways for all of us, our role is simply to enhance whatever is around us. And for us, as we hold space for both contemplation and action, we're invited to embody and be salt by enhancing the work of God that's already around us? How are we collaborating? How are we participating with those who are already practicing God's presence and work? You know, last fall we talked through our value of participation here at Vox and how it's an invitation for co-creation and collaboration with God and with each other. And this is how we describe participation. We live in a culture where being in a church means shopping and consuming community. We invite you into a beautiful alternative liturgy, which means the work of the people. Find your plot of the garden within the community and the world we live in and get your hands dirty. We welcome you as co-creators to become the hands and feet of Christ. Cultivate your soul, help us hold space for the spiritual journey of others and lean into the literal call to care for and serve the earth we belong to. And so for salt, it's our intrinsic nature to collaborate and participate in a way that enhances 
what God's already doing through others around us. Uh, last Saturday, a handful of us uh, from Vox, we helped out with the Boggy Creek cleanup. And the last time we participated was, I think, back in 2018, um, when we were still at Space 12, our old building. And so it's been a while, uh, and it's good to be part of this again. Uh, it's something that's organized by the McKinley Heights Neighborhood Association, which is the neighborhood that Vesper is a part of. Uh, and since they're part of the city of Austin's Adopt-A-Creek program, they schedule cleanups uh, on Boggy Creek between 12th Street and MLK. And they try to clear out as much trash as possible. And I was cleaning a section with Gina, uh, Gina Bestone, and a couple other neighbors. And it was interesting to observe parts of the creek while we were poking around for trash. Uh, nature kind of does its own thing, right? It, fi it finds a way. And so we found some old carpet that we thought we could pull out, but the roots had already grown over it. It had actually made it part of the landscape, which was a bit sad to see. Uh, we found um, some interesting fungus growing on all these trees, kind of had this Last of Us vibe. But just from the couple hours we worked, we collected 34 bags of trash, some larger items, and altogether it weighed about 700 pounds, which we threw in the truck. But we were all able to collaborate with something that was already happening in our neighborhood, something that was benefiting the good of our literal neighbors, benefiting the ecosystem in our neighborhood. And that's just a small, simple way that we were able to live into our identity as salt, participate with the work that's already happening around us. And so for us, maybe something we can try this week is to find a practical outlet, to collaborate and participate in the work of hospitality or justice. You know, next week we have the bake sale that Parker mentioned, to help raise funds for Refugee Services of Texas and Women for Women International. Maybe it's tutoring at a local school. Maybe it's volunteering with Inside Books right here during the week. How are we individually and collectively, as a community, enhancing and participating in God's work that's already happening around us? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? And then we continue in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under the bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so the second image that Jesus uses is light. He says that we are the light of the world. And growing up, you know, the way I understood this image was that we were supposed to be this beam of radiant light that would just draw attention, you know, blind them if we needed to, so that we could show them the right way to live. We even had a kid's song that went along with it. And while light can be a beacon to draw others in, Another aspect of light is how it reveals and uncovers what's around it. Again, remember, right, those who were originally listening to Jesus were those who were oppressed and marginalized. And if they are light, by nature they are essentially revealing injustice 
and oppression that's happening to them and around them. Being light was an invitation to uncover and reveal what would rather remain hidden. And for us, as we hold space for both contemplation and action, we're invited to embody and be light by revealing injustice and uncovering oppression that tries to stay hidden and invisible in the dark. Last week, uh, Grace Kim uh, was a speaker at Austin Seminary's Midwinter seminar Seminars, uh, and I had a chance to hear her story and experience being a Korean woman living in North America and growing up in the church. And she reflected on how Asian Americans uh, were made invisible in a culture that tried to eliminate our experience of racism and discrimination because the narrative was always focused only on the white and black experience. And her book, Invisible, explores the theology of visibility and how being an Asian American woman impacted her ability to be seen and known. And this is what she writes. It is in relating to the marginalized that we, like Jesus, reveal ourselves to be liberators and healers of our own spirits, our own minds. That is why Asian Americans must ally with one another, one marginalized being to another, one woman to another, and inhabit new centers of visibility that radically uplift our being. Together, in forging a new space to be seen, we can find God's teaching and reflect them back into our actions, our lives. God is present among the invisible who are seeking new ways of being in Jesus' gospel. Asian American women's experiences of invisibility in both society and church compel us to unpack a white patriarchal God and push us to reimagine a God who loves all people. And through her own experience of being made invisible, she is essentially shining a light to reveal and uncover the oppressive religious institution that has continually ignored and marginalized her. And she reminds us that if we live as the light that we already are, we expose and provide visibility to the experiences and stories of those who have been historically marginalized. Now, this month is Black History Month, and the 1619 Project docuseries was released a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the writer and creator, she originally wrote some essays for the New York Times, which then turned into a podcast, which now has become a video series. And it attempts to tell the story that was historically hidden and untold. It captures the journey that started in 1619, when slaves from Africa were trafficked to this land and how that would lay the foundation for a country that was reliant on and driven by slavery. That would shape and ingrain how black bodies in this country were abused, dehumanized, ignored, and oppressed. And yet in the darkness of slavery for centuries, many have been trying to shine the light and work towards uncovering this continued injustice. And this is how she describes her hope and vision for this series. She says, we wanted from the very beginning to subvert this idea about American democracy and the way that we tend to think about black contributions to it. We acknowledge that our brute labor contributed something to the economy of this country, 
But of course, we're arguing, arguing that our greatest contribution is democracy itself. And how might you think about black people differently if you understood that one basic fact? That's the argument that sets up the entire series. Right? She's saying that when you really consider who has contributed to the democracy of this country, black people by nature of being oppressed have intrinsically become the ones who shine the light on injustice. They have been the ones fighting so hard and for so long to actually make this country more democratic, where every person has a voice through their vote. And it continues to be a struggle to protect that right. But it's through voices and projects like this that shine a light on the hidden ways that people and institutions are continuing to oppress and marginalize. And so for us, maybe a practice we can try this week is just to build some more awareness of injustice where light needs to be shined. Maybe it's watching or reading things like the 1619 Project and working to understand these stories that are being brought to light. You know, just last week, Sam Lee brought to my attention that this Texas Senate is trying to push a new law through a new bill that would ban any individual or corporation from China from ever owning land or property here in Texas. And while they say their motivation is to protect our state from foreign investments, this unfortunately enables and emboldens underlying racism and xenophobia towards Asians. And that's something that needs to be shined on. And so what is our invitation and work to be done as we embody and live the light that reveals? You are the light of the world. People do not light a lamp and put it under the bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. And then we close in verse 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the last image Jesus offers us is the law, which represents the framework and structure for how they're supposed to express and practice their faith. And at first, it sounds like Jesus is taking an approach to biblical literalism, which many of the churches we grew up in embraced, right? We were taught that we needed to follow every literal command and instruction that was found in scripture. That even if we broke even the most obscure commandment, God would be very angry with us. Every single letter and sentence had to be taken at face value. And so while it seems like Jesus is leaning in that direction as well, he's actually trolling the religious leaders because they were notorious for their ability to know the most obscure laws and to practice them at extreme levels. No one did it better and more consistently than they did. But when Jesus said that we need to exceed what the Pharisees were doing, 
maybe he was letting us know that they were missing the point. Because it's impossible to completely follow the letter of the law. Instead, Jesus is inviting us to move beyond strict obedience and enter a journey of wisdom that engages a more holistic approach of discernment and integrating God's heart of inclusion and nonviolence. And so for us, as we hold space for both contemplation and action, we're invited to embody scripture by entering a lifelong journey toward wisdom. Uh, in his book, How, How the Bible Actually Works, uh, Pete Enns highlights the difference between using the Bible as a rule book, which leans towards biblical literalism, or allowing the Bible to invite us into the journey of wisdom. And he came up with a list, and, and here's how he compares the two. He says that a rule book delivers certitude and finality. Right? It's distant and passive and immediate. It provides comfort and stability. It's designed to end the journey. It's limited to specific moments, and it keeps us small. Wisdom, on the other hand, embraces mystery. It's intimate and learned through experience. It takes trial and error over time. It asks us to risk letting go of what is familiar for God's surprises. It shapes us so we can journey with courage. It works in all times and places. And wisdom gives us the space we need to grow. And so when you overlay that framework on top of how we engage scripture, right, it's, it's helpful to understand the limitations we encounter if we strictly view scripture as a rule book or an instruction manual with all the answers. Instead, we're invited to a richer, more nuanced, and integrated experience that requires our critical thinking and discernment. This is how Pete Enns describes that invitation. He says, the Bible holds out for us an invitation to accept this timeless and sacred responsibility of working out for ourselves what faith in God looks like here and now, of owning the process with no accompanying checklist of one-size-fits-all solutions, no safety net of pre-scripted responses, and no fear that God will bring down the hammer on us for accepting the challenge of faith. And this is something that Jesus modeled for us. Right? He embodies the process of reading the Hebrew scriptures while discerning God's heart of inclusion and nonviolence. You know, later on in his teaching, he would say, you have heard that it was said. And then he would reference a law from the Hebrew scriptures, which might have been abused or misunderstood. And then he would say, but I say to you. And he would offer a more inclusive and nonviolent interpretation of that law. And so the law might have said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said to turn the other cheek in order to integrate and practice the nonviolence of God. The interpretation of the law might have been to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but Jesus reminded us to love our enemies and practice inclusion. And so for us, how might we prioritize wisdom and our journey towards wisdom as we contemplate and discern the scriptures? 
How might we continue an ongoing discovery of Scripture as we hold the lens of God's nonviolence and inclusion? And so as we close, my hope for us, Fox, is that we would learn to live from the authentic place of who God has made us to be. And as we lean, lean into our identity as salt and light, that we would more naturally embody a posture and practice of collaboration and revealing injustice around us, and that we would be supported in our journey towards the wisdom of Christ. And so let me close with this prayer. God who made us with creativity and intention and shaped us to be who we are, may we collaborate with others and offer the gift of our uniqueness and authenticity. Jesus who came to live as one of us and brought us light in the darkness, may we uncover and reveal the injustices that hide or are plain to see. And Spirit who generously gives wisdom to those who journey through the mystery of faith. May we put understanding with lived reality to move beyond knowledge and into practice. We ask all this in the love of God, our creator, the light of Christ, and the wisdom of the spirit. Amen.